0: Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Genesis now, making our way through the Old Testament on Mondays and Wednesdays at random times with our Saturday night, just after midnight, 12, 15 a.m. Early Sunday morning readings being dedicated to the Gospels now, since they outnumber the rest of the Bible, Uh, the rest of the Bible outnumber the Gospels, I should say, one to ten. They have to remember it's that tithe of the whole Bible. If you're a Christian, that if I were you, that's what I pay attention to. Those six books out of the sixty-plus books of what Jesus actually had to say are in those books, and that's what we focus on on our Saturday nights, early Sunday morning readings. Now, and on our Mondays and Wednesdays, we're in the Old Testament. So, without further ado, let's pick up with Genesis chapter three. Um, we just went through what we call now modern terms, the big bang in chapter one um, and sort of the formation of the planets and the world um, throughout it in the first few days of creation. So now we're up to chapter three to the temptation and fall of man. Cause in chapter two, we got to the species of man as we call it now in modern terms and let's see there that there's more than one created there. By chapter 2 of the Bible itself in Genesis, yet churches never preach it that way, even though that's what it says. So now we're on to Chapter 3. Um, um, basically, uh, so let's get, get going. Chapter 1, 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, said to the woman does God indeed say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So now it's the ser- a talking snake here. Although the word serpent, if you train if, if you translate it back, it's uh, also trans. The word seraphim is translates to the same word, so it could be talking about an angel at some point. Uh, I mean it um in some way, just the same way you can say something figuratively and literally, and say something's hot. And it could be taken many different ways, so it may be the same case with this serpent. Um, uh, otherwise it's a talking snake. Um, whatever the case may be, it, that's what's happening with the woman. And the woman hasn't even gotten a name yet as far as I can tell. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. So she's repeating back to the devil it is going to turn out to be or at least this angel, this serpent she's encountering. She's repeating back to him the command as she knows it, which presumably she must know when she was a part of Adam, since that's how she was created, the same way the rest of us were a part of our mamas before we walked around on our own two feet. Um, She was that same way, but for Adam. So we went over all that also in the previous reading, if you want to check it out. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she's saying that's where our boundary is. It's in touching those uh, the trees in the midst of the garden, like it's uh, the central trees, the uh, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they're supposed to stay away from. Um, But it seems here she's talking about just one tree, although it was two trees. mentioned before previously that... Adam was actually given the order not to touch. And I guess presumably, like I said, either she knew it as from being part of him or the command was repeated at some point in her years that she knows it too. Um, So she knows where the boundary is. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So now you have the serpent being allowed to if, um, if, if it's considered sin at this point contradict God, and yet God's not intervening, striking it down, stopping it right there and in, in its roots, nipping it in the bud, which presumably God could do, since if you're going to believe the Old Testament, that, that happened several times throughout the Old Testament where people would get zapped or uh, shot down by lightning or something um, in an instant when they offend uh, the deities mentioned throughout the Old Testament in a certain way, so why wouldn't that same deity, if that's God Almighty, act in that same way right now and nip all of the evil that's come from this moment, that moment in time, in the bud right there and in the serpent right there? So that Eve doesn't get tempted and it doesn't go into what the rest of creation has fallen into. But nonetheless, let's keep moving. So he's contradicting God, giving her an alternate, giving her alternate facts, giving her a uh, that she can rely on if she chooses to for god knows that in the day that you eat in the day you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil so the serpent here is deceiving her with the promise of opening her eyes to knowledge that opening, that understanding more is what the trap is that this is the what the trap that the serpent is using to capture her So when the woman saw that she was good for food, so it lets us know it's, uh, let me keep reading. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So let's read it bit by bit and make sense of it. Some churches will even twist this to say that all of this isn't happening to a tree and with fruit that's being eaten at all. It's all happening in a figurative way to describe something sexual happening between uh, all three of them, between Adam, Eve, and um, the angel, the serpent, the whatever it is that they're encountering, this talking snake, that uh, something happened between the three of them sexually. But we know that that's not what it says, just the core. I mean, not what it, that's not what it says right there. It says clearly that it's good for food. That means it's edible. Uh, edible and nourishing, because you can eat lots of different, you can eat a person if you chose to be, you know, do that, but I don't think it's what it's saying, so it's not talking about a person at all, it's talking about a tree that's good for food, so it is something edible, some people assume it's an apple, it never says it's an apple in the Bible, um, but uh, the a fruit that would make sense, since it's a poisonous, it has it is dangerous in only in it, in in partaking in it, and um, yet it is good for food. Um, as far as the part of making one wise, that lets us know that's where the mystical, uh, supernatural part steps in. Pleasant to the eyes, um, I mean, it's fruit. And she also gave it her husband; he ate. So, whatever kind of tree it is, some people believe it's a mango. That's what I was going to say because the seed of a mango is toxic, I believe, if you eat it, and so is the skin, but the meat itself is delicious. Um, it can come so many different ways. It could be tart, it could be uh, almost neutral, it could be super sweet. They're delicious. But um, toxic if you um, partake of their skin. Um, and I think the seed also, too, but whatever the case may be, it doesn't ever name what fruit tree it is. It's talking about it, but it's clearly talking about a tree and food and a fruit tree, and she even shared it with her husband. So, I mean, it it just makes sense. Why people twist this, I don't know. I think because it sets up another narrative that they want people to buy into with their religion. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So uh, that's kind of a mysterious sentence there, first let's take it bit by bit first their eyes were open when they partook of the fruit that lets them know what's good and what's evil so at that moment then it seems they were covered in shame or humility by their bodies that's why they wanted um, knew that that's how they knew that they were naked that's what that means the same way you would first see someone naked as a, a you know the first time you see someone naked it can be startling um, or someone sees you naked, it can be startling. Even once you get of a certain age, it's not like your little kid running around with no shirt on. It's you realize something. You know, oh, something should be covered. That feeling. Um, but the part about they sewed fake leaves together. Where'd they get the needles? where they? Unless they knitted them, where'd they get all of that from? It doesn't make sense. How, how do they suddenly know how to sew? So I guess if you think uh, anthropologically. Uh, I think that'd be the proper branch um, of science that I guess over time people would have learned to sew a long, long time ago just to cover ourselves um, from the elements, but also for fashion and to differentiate ourselves in different ways. Whatever the case may be, it lets us know that it's an old practice. We're only in chapter three of the Old Testament. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here this is being uh, making it clear that people are passing along, uh, that God is, make, is interacting with people in a way that's obviously not the way it happens in modern times, but also it's in a way that doesn't make sense if you're going to consider what Jesus himself wants. Uh, says about uh, God Almighty. It's what makes me lean on the the whole red letter to Christian belief, or uh, I guess way of approaching the Bible would be the better way to say it, um, is that if you um, see what Jesus himself says about um God Almighty, Jesus says that no one has seen God at any time, and if you look in the Gospels, you'll see that. It's um, you could do a search there in the in the window for that phrase in particular. If you don't happen to know it by heart, but it's in the Gospels. Like which one? It doesn't come off to me. I think maybe John. Let's see if I can do one real quick. Obviously, it won't be quick. Let's see. Yeah, it is John. John 1 verse 18. If you look for yourself, you'll see Jesus speaking red letters. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So according to the writer of John, the one who's passed on the message of John to whoever passed it on to the People who documented or compiled the Bible, I should say, um, says there is quoting Jesus that no one has seen God at any time. So it lets us know if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to hold on to what the words that Jesus says, then whatever events are going on in the book of Genesis, um, whoever, whatever it is, Adam and Eve are interacting with, it may be. It may have. It may be an entity, a deity. It may have indeed happened. We're here. There's evidence that there was some beginning people. Uh, we're the evidence of that. I, um, but Jesus, if you're going to believe what Jesus says, there's no one has seen God at any time. So that lets us know if you're a Christian, what um, way to approach the Old Testament. And for me, that boils down to understanding. Sometimes you have to put aside the things we've been taught that um there's only one god in the bible and all of that clearly there's not because this per whoever whatever entity entity is being described as god at this point is not going to be the same name given to god at another point and we just read where jesus what jesus himself says uh so anyway at verse 9 and the lord god called to adam and said to him where are you so um I'll just say God because that's what's who that's who's being identified here, and maybe God Jesus meant something else. But no one has seen God at any time, and maybe this is so. Maybe this was some other, I don't know. Whatever the case may be in this Adam and Eve story, um, it's. It it makes sense that it it, could it possibly be the Lord God Almighty not knowing where someone is unless it's being uh, unless God here is being. I guess what I would make sense is we're only in chapter three, chapter one itself said, let us make man in our image. So maybe this is one of those of the us interacting with creation at this point and asking, where are you? Even though it would seem to me that any creation would know where its create our creator would know where its creations are, but I guess that's not always the case. When you when I make dresses and things, I don't always know where they are. So I guess I could see that. So he said, "I heard a voice. I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." So um, the response to uh, that Adam comes up with when he's questioned about where is he he at? Why is he hiding himself? Uh, What's going on basically? Uh, Where are you? Is um, that he did hear that he was looking for him, but out of uh, his own self-consciousness basically, he hid himself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? You should not eat. So God's questioning him saying, wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? He was naked all along and it was no problem. And I think that's a bigger message to us as believers, just like Jesus lets us know in Luke chapter 12, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. It tells us in that old chapter, if you read on, uh, that you're not supposed to worry about what, what clothes you put on and what you wear and what's proper there and that whole sense of things. And yet people get hung up on that altogether when it comes to gender issues. I think it goes into denial of their own feelings and interests and attractions to people who express their gender in different ways, Mm -hmm. more so than any actual, absolutely more so than any gospel doctrine because Jesus doesn't say that, it's the opposite of what Jesus says. And here you see in the Old Testament even, Where uh, the first time someone realizes people realize they're nude and they're sort of embarrassed about it, it's only after they enter, encountered disobeying the command they'd been given by God Almighty, who was, if you're gonna say it was God Almighty, interacting with people still at that point. but again, Jesus already let us know no one has seen God at any time. So maybe God is interacting with them, but not seeing they're not seeing him or God, I should say, since God is spoken of as a plural pronoun in, like I said, the previous chapter we read. So um, God's questioning him, Adam, wondering, well, who told you that you were naked, which he was all along, Um And it wasn't a problem with God before, but now that you know it, it's suddenly an issue, not with God, but with humanity. Same thing with societies, take issues with nudity and sexuality, but have very little problem funding violence and war and calling one patriotic and godly and the other evil and wicked. Yet they're flipped. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible when they use religion to flip it and get people to buy into things that aren't actually true at all, Uh, but they are popular, popular lies. Then the men said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So Adam being the great man he is, is probably the first example of um, non-chivalrous, selfish behavior, points the finger to the woman Who isn't as old as he is, one, is a dependent of his because he was, she's the, he's only, she's only around because she was extracted from him, according to the narrative. Uh, For two, so that sort of gives him parenthood authority in the sense that he, he should be more responsible for her rather than the other way around, at least in modern thinking. Um, And then three, he was the one giving the command. She wasn't even around when that command not to touch it was given, if you read, if you read back in the previous uh, passages. So it's completely pointing the finger at her um, and blaming her for her part in the uh, disobedience, which she does have a part in it. She uh, apparently took the tree first and got it and took it to him. Um, But he knew better than she did. Excuse me a second. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she's just laying it all out on the line, letting God know that, yeah, he fooled me. He got me. He told me it was cool, said it was okay. I believed him. And I did it, and it is what it is. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, so she's confessing to the fact that she's been disobedient, is basically what Eve did. Adam points the finger at Eve. Eve points the finger at the serpent, but all but at least accepts responsibility for what she did, that she did take it and that she did eat of it. Um Unlike Adam, he didn't do that. Um, he admits that he ate it, but he's saying it's because she gave it to him. That's why he did it. And in her case, she admits that she did it also. But she points the finger at the serpent who deceived her, even though she had the command. Apparently, she repeated it back to the serpent before he, the serpent got her to eat it. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So now um, for being deceitful and causing others to be deceived, it seems to me to be the case of the moral of this story, of this narrative of what's going on. Um, the snake gets cursed, the serpent gets cursed to... Um, a lower state. And if you want to think figuratively, yes, it would be um, like a demotion from its having its um, divine powers as people think of angels and that sort of thing have having them uh, or whatever other species of man it was that was created in the previous chapters that we read. Um, Whatever that case may be, it seems to me that the serpent, this talking serpent, if it is a serpent or if it's a an angel, whatever the case may be, either either it's pointing to snakes not being the way they are now, whether it be that um and it's, it would sound crazy. And so I'm just saying in a science fiction way of thinking of it being possible, it no, I won't even say that because it doesn't sound crazy. But it's, it seems to me that it's the... If you're going to think of it literally, it's the snakes now. That's why they slither around on the ground. Then how are they getting around before? Are they walking upright? or Are they floating? Did they have wings? We don't know. It doesn't really explain that. But it's saying that that's why snakes basically are slithering around on their belly and uh, living in the dust. And that... That's how they got to be that way, but of all the creatures in the world, it was the snakes. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the thing to notice there is that his heel part, the his H there is capitalized and the S and the seed there between your seed and her seed, that second S is capitalized. So it's seems to me that it's believed to be a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, the Savior, the Messiah, to make up for this whole idea, this original sin, this first time that humanity was disobedient to the divine commands of uh, what's righteous and what's unrighteous, and the only command was That tree to avoid those, those, the tree of life and the knowledge of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, Other than that, none of the other commands have been given to this point. There are no Ten Commandments. Uh, None of that has happened yet. That doesn't happen even until later in the Bible, in the next book of the Bible. So it seems to me if you're going to believe the Old Testament and hold on to it, none of these things are even. well, this part is te- technically the only sin at this point, um, and that'll come into play later, so let's just keep reading. So the other part about the bruise his heel, it seems to me, is the same, the belief that someone from humanity will cause the death of the Messiah, that's uh, be the nail to the cross. Um, um, let me see. But the one part that doesn't make any sense is putting between and between your seed and her seed. As far as I know, biologically, women don't have seeds. Only males have seeds. So this doesn't really make sense either that it's talking about um, uh, her seed and um, except for that, that if it's talking in the divine sense of lineages and, and that and everything pointing to Jesus. But even besides that um, are also included On top of that, I should say. um, Let me see, there was one other thing that stood out about that. Uh, It it slipped away from me. Um, So that's what they believe. Some people believe that this verse 15 is pointing to um, the struggle between good and evil, the playing out later of Jesus being crucified um, by. Energies, parties, descendant from um, these same events. So the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and desire, and your desire, your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. So this seems to me to be um, the origins of what we now call thirsty women—women women who let their men. Do whatever they wanna do, even if it's stupid or harmful or dangerous, or even if it endangers their children, all in the name of keeping their man or keeping their man happy. It seems to me, this seems to be the roots of that, of women whose only desire is for whatever their husband wants to do, whatever the man in their life wants them to do. It's just thirsty, it's unfortunate because desperation is not good, it's not cute. Um, But also notice how it says, greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. That to me means that there must be some other conceptions that had happened before this point that aren't mentioned, either um, in another sense that they were were possible through the the other species that were created in the earlier chapter or um, in some divine supernatural sense that humans were used for that purpose, just like they didn't know they were naked until they were told they were naked, until their eyes were open and they, you know, were disobedient and realized they were naked. Maybe there were processes being used at that time also. And I know it sounds science fiction-y, but maybe that's the purpose of what humans were around for before they uh, became uh, sentient, before they gain consciousness and realize um, that they're not just whatever purpose they were being used for then, but their eyes are open to the sin and the possibilities there. Um, uh, But it uh, it seems to me that's a pretty rough um, repayment that the woman gets, that she has to have her man rule over her now. I guess that's sort of like the flip side of her leading him down the wrong way. Then the Adams, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, if eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed it is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So now the thing that Adam, into, the price Adam ends up paying for his disobedience is having to wrestle with the earth and deal with the elements of nature and the ground as far as his livelihood, whether and it seems to be whether that's agriculture, or the um, uh, you know, building or pollution, whatever the case may be, um, that's the curse that's been laid on on human males, men's backs, that they'll have to um, work by the sweat of their brow um, and use the earth in that sense to survive both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. So again, this herb of the field is reinforced the idea that people are supposed to be vegetarians, not omnivores eating any and everything, which some people are, it's their belief, and other people only eat what this part of the Bible says or what that part of the Bible says and also free to do that and believe whatever you want to. But you have to also recognize then in that case, there are contradictions as to what you're supposed to do. And so if you're, if there are contradictions, then why not go with what your doctor says is the best thing for you to do as far as your health goes, if you're not going to go with what your own appetite tells you to do? Um, just a suggestion as far as what I do. Um, but so it seems to me the entity, God, here is letting Adam know, that but not just all the days of his life, but somehow his offspring get saddled with that same disobedient sin where people have to work and work and work um, every day rather than be able to just live and explore and express. Um, Everyone doesn't have that uh, freedom, Um, but The vegetarian diet is what stands out there. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Welcome to the naked truth. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We're at verse 18. And uh, let's pick it up. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. So that's the whole vegetarian diet coming up again for humanity. In the sweat of your face, or at least for Adam at this point, you're going to see those different food laws change again and again throughout the Bible. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So it's not clear why it becomes a generational curse uh, or you know punishment, at this point when only Adam and Eve are the ones who committed that sin of being disobedient to the one command they were given about not touching those trees. Um, But it seems that's the harsh punishment that all of humanity gets for that uh, disobedience according to the narrative. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. not real sure why now she gets the name, although I guess because her eyes are open, and uh, maybe they realize it's you need to uh, uh, communicate by at least knowing what name to call someone. But he's calling her the name just like he gave all the cattle and the sheep names. So, this is another example of early patriarchy, which I guess in a sense it makes sense. Like I said, he was around before she was. And yet somehow he escapes the harsher punishment. Why isn't he the one giving birth then, since he was the one with the original command not to be disobedient? She's the one saddled with it. Um, But it is what it is. Um, But he gives her the name of Eve, and because she's the mother of all living, I'm not sure if that's a translation of Eve or not. But he says that's the name he's given her also for Adam and his wife. The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So we saw earlier that that they sewed things to to themselves once they knew they were naked. But now you see God Almighty is the fashion designer and created something for them to wear. Interesting. Uh, Almost like we're Barbies, that whole Sims theory of things that we're all just living a simulation um, that God's playing out. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and quote them. Um, did we just read that? Um, oops, sorry, I guess we did. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So this again, that whole idea of monotheism has to go out the window. You have God, on, uh, it's being expressed as the Lord God here, communicating with others, saying us, uh, and thus is capitalized, letting us know that they're on the same level. It's not, um, uh, there's no differentiation between the level of authority and God's here, especially since one of the concerns is that through knowledge, humans will be like, whatever entities these are and I guess in this sense it makes more sense of Jesus as saying uh, no one has seen God at any time whatever these entities are that are interacting with humanity at this point in time in this narrative it seems to me I don't know I don't know it doesn't I don't know it doesn't make sense that it's among um, a uh, one singular God. It, it just doesn't, the fact that it says one of us, lets us no, it's not singular. Uh, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So um, it seems the punishment of Adam is that he's going to have to plow the fields. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So um, I don't know if that's still around someplace in the world and just lost the time or hiding in a cave or under guard under some country. I don't know. Um, But it seems to me nowhere, nowhere else in the Bible does it talk about that location changing. So I don't know. Is it like Excalibur and you'll wander through the woods and end up finding the spot where that place exists, where you see the flaming sword protecting the entrance to... Uh, uh the Garden of Eden now, where you won't even see it. I guess the Flaming Sword, in a sense now, could be a volcano that you can't cross its lava, and uh, you could do it with a drone, but um maybe, sort of, that way it's protected and hidden. But that ends this um, chapter uh, three. Let me see if we have time for chapter four many verses are in it. Well, you know, I think if we read through it, we probably can get through it. So let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Now, would you believe even that chapter and verse gets uh, adulterated by some preachers now? And they will twist this and say that, no, Uh, she's actually pregnant from the snake in the tree uh, from the last reading where at no point does it say the snake knew her the serpent knew her it doesn't say the serpent knew adam it said they ate of the tree the fruit of that tree since it was a tree good for food and yet some some preachers will twist this to make it mean something altogether different and say that this um, child that she. Conceived and bore um, Cain was not actually Adam's baby, but somehow it was that serpent's. It makes no sense. It, we, we just read it right there that only now is he knowing his wife, and only now has she conceived and born the child, Cain. And it seems that if, if for her to say she's acquired a man from the Lord, from the Lord, the birth had already have already uh, happened at this point. Not twins. But let's keep reading, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel, Abel Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it's not real clear if they're twins or, um, well, it says she bore again, not she conceived again. So I guess they probably are twins. And, um, And it's sort of laid out a difference in their nature. Let me have a sip of water, excuse me. And one was more of a nature boy, and one uh, was better with the animals, I guess. Uh, one was a keeper of the sheep, and one was a tiller of the ground. So yeah, one was more with the animals, and one was more with the land. It seems both are be good to have. In the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Um, so... Where this whole idea of bringing offerings to the Lord who created everything um, comes from, I don't know, this seems to be one of the first examples of it in the Bible anyway. Abel also brought of the first one of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. So not of the um, fruit and flowers and creations of that sort, is God impressed, but this deity God that they're interacting with here is impressed by the fat from the animals? So, I mean, if you think about it, the fat from animals can be very useful and delicious. No matter how you feel about pork, lard can make delicious pastries and biscuits and things. Cookies they're incredibly flaky and delicious when you use it to cook with. I have restrained from cooking with it because the salt and pork and all of that I, doesn't do me very good. I avoid it for years now, but the taste of it is delicious. Um, so I could see actually why um, God would like an offering like that. The cracklings and the fat backs uh, rendered down to the fat that you can make things with. Delicious, delicious stuff. But um, so, for whatever reason, God is impressed with the offering of the fact, not the offering of the land. I'm not really sure why. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So, I mean, why wouldn't it fall? He brought his first according to the order of the narrative, if it's chronological. Um, so, I don't know, does that mean he was the first to think of even bringing a gift and offerings, like some roses or whatever? The case may be maybe because God created those roses and whatever other offering it is that he brought that it wasn't as impressive to God. I don't know. It, I don't know. Um, but the same God that created those flowers had to have created the animals. And what does God want the animals who he told to be fruitful and multiply to now be slaughtered so that God can enjoy their fat? It's a strange story, but he did not respect Cain's offering and it didn't please Cain that he got rejected. Kind of understandable. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? So, um, I mean, it's as if God doesn't understand. And just so you understand, if you look at the translation of it says the Lord, it's translated as Jehovah here. Lord, when in the New Testament, when Jesus um, talks about the Lord, doesn't ever get translated as Jehovah. Um, just so you keep that in mind when you're talking about the entities that are we're going to be that we talk about throughout the Old Testament. None of these are the name Jesus ever gave when Jesus talked about God. Jesus only addressed God in the in the Gospels. That is, and that's only in those six books that I can think of is either God, Lord, or Father. And the translation of those can be Elohim. Um, But these other names, El and Yah and Jehovah, those aren't names that Jesus gave for God at all throughout the gospels. So keep that in mind just as a side note. Um, So now um, the Lord, it seems is, sort of pouring salt on the wound. First, he rejected Cain's offering, which was sort of, it seems to me, a free will gift. It was a little God already created. I mean, it's like someone bringing you something you already have and then saying, here's a gift to you. So I can understand that, but how is that any different than the fat offering of what Cain did? I mean, what Abel did. But he's going to answer him. Um, First, he asked him, why are you angry and why you know why are you why do you have a unit on your face what are you mad about if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it so this is one of the first instances of something being identified as sin and um besides the whole command not to um, touch the trees in the previous chapters this is one of the first instances of what's Sin is, and here it's. Um, if let's just say God, since it's saying the Lord in these different pa- in this part of the Bible, is letting, um, letting us know, or at least letting Him know, that the ability the to walk in the sin, to step in the sin, is easy. It's right there at your front door. Whenever you want, just open it up and indulge in it. It's right there, ready for you. Um, But he's saying, on the other hand, you have the choice to do well. And then if you do well, then you'll be accepted. But I don't think he means acceptance from humanity. I think he means acceptance from on high. Um, I don't know. And I think God's also letting him know that the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do are paths that are right there in front of him, just like they're in front of us and God watches to see which ones we take, the ones uh, that bring us to acceptance in God's eyes, or the one that takes us down a path of sin. But he's letting us know also that we should rule over that sin, not necessarily um, avoid it, but rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So, um, some preachers will try to say this is the first murder, which I mean, yes, it's what it describes, him killing his brother. And we'll say that that's whole serpent seed theory is, um, is why they believe that Cain was actually conceived by uh, the serpent with Eve in a story that's not written there in the Bible. And they'll have you try and make you believe that. But if you believe the Bible, The order that thou shall not kill hasn't been given yet. The only order as far as sins go are about touching those trees, which one of the trees has been corded off by a flaming sword according to the narrative. So that sin isn't even possible. And um, the sin um, now that we're to this point that we just read, let me see. Uh, the sin that lies at the door, the temptation uh, that lies at the door to sin. This is only the second time that anything about sin is even pointed out. So it um, it doesn't make sense to call this the first murderer. And even if it is the first murderer, look how God handles it. If you're going to say this is God and embrace the Old Testament, let's keep reading because uh, there was no premeditation. It seems it just says that he talked with his brother and then um, he killed him. Then the Lord said he came, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? So that's where that saying comes from, where people don't wanna be bothered with the responsibility of looking out for one another, instead wanting to just look out for their own and thinking that that's perfectly fine, that's the way of the world, I'm not my brother's keeper. That's his business. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So once again, the Lord is asking rhetorical questions about where are you? And that sort of thing, as if God doesn't already know it. Maybe it's each time to test the hearts of humans, the response of humans to see how honest, how truthful, how direct. Or indirect and deceitful and unfaithful people will be, because he's asked him a question here about his brother, and he lied, saying he doesn't know where he is. When he does know, he just he killed him. So God's word let him know, I do know, and the ground itself is calling out. And that seems stark to, to me, right to the idea of wicked and um, witchcraft and black magic, voodoo, that sort of belief, spiritual belief that the earth itself has powers and in, um, in the things you, the way you can include it in the ritual of your worship. And he said, what have you done? Oh, so now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So now um, that whole working on the sweat from the sweat of your brow was a curse already put on Adam and presumably for all of his seeds since then. So now you see, the curse being put uh, on Abel on Cable, Cain, excuse me, um, is one again where the earth is going to pay him back and um, be a part of his um, punishment. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So it seems to me the curse is that you won't have a green thumb in your family line. You're not going to be good with agriculture and cultivating the land. Um, Nothing about the sexual part that some preachers will try and write all all the way into this. And notice one other thing. Nothing about a death penalty. If you want to call that what happened between Cain and Abel murder. He wasn't sentenced to death. God could have zapped him right then, took him out. Could have caused a mist to come up from the ground, a toxic mist, overtake him and kill him. But that's not what happened at all. And yet people who claim to be religious and faithful will um, thump a Bible and endorse the death penalty. And Cain said to the Lord, uh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. So he's letting him know that he doesn't feel like the punishment he's given him. Suits the crime. Surely you've driven, he's saying him out this day from the face of the ground. He shall be hidden from your face. Uh, He shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds him will kill him. That's what he's saying. And if you've read with me before, you understand why I read it the way I read it. Um, I'm reading that part just so you understand it. Um, But if you would like a better understanding as a Christian, check out Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, about what Jesus says about your words and um, how they'll justify you and condemn you. Check that out and then reconsider how that reads if you read it out loud. So anyway, he's letting him know, especially if you believe that Cain's some part of a cursed lineage meant to... um, influence humanity in a bad way. Why would you want to read those words out loud um, as they're written and apply them to yourself as they're written if that's how the spoken word energy works? Anyway, so he's saying there that uh, he's afraid of the punishment, and he feels like it's too harsh. Um, Like the January sixth rioters, the one who demands a vegan or vegetarian diet, and gets it because he has the complexion for protection that allows you such privilege in this country, Uh, denies it to other people actively, but will allow it to violent people like that all day long in this country in modern times, 2021. Um, So he's saying it's too much. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him, should kill him. So this is another mysterious statement. Excuse me second. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're only on Genesis chapter 4. As far as we know, by name, the only people, humans, that have been created are Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. And um, the other creations that were created in previous chapters, they weren't really given any names, um, at least none of them in the Bible were given any names. Um, this sort of gives the idea that maybe the Bible is specifically for the human branch of creation, this species of man of creation um, for our reflection, not for everyone else, because everyone else, other species have their own histories and creations too that matter more to them. Maybe, I don't know. So, um, but either way, look what's being said there that um, the death penalty is not what should be endorsed and that is not what people should be doing. People should not be going out and taking the blood of killers to make up for the blood they shed. And uh, according to this passage, um, a mark, And people will try and say, this is the mark of the beast. That's at the end of the Bible, not at the beginning. And it's not set like this on that, like that at all. So don't let people just conflate different uh, passages to you, because then the next thing you know, they'll just be saying anything and saying it's in the Bible. And it it turns out it's not. But um, anyway, um, this seems to me clearly, if you're going to look to the beginning for how things should be, this is the first example of a life being taken. This is the first example of the death penalty being denied and saying that that's not the way to go. Saying so yet some people will ignore it and go with whatever it is they want to believe anyway, even though Jesus suffered the death penalty also, John the Baptist suffered the death penalty also, both wrongly. People will still think they're being godly and endorse it. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So this out of the presence of the Lord doesn't make any sense either. If God Almighty fills the universe and beyond, what is is that really the Lord that you're out of the presence he's out of? And how do you really ever actually get out of the presence of God? That's the same thing Jonah uh, thought to do. Um, so besides all of that, uh, we still don't know who these other people are unless they're those previous day creations or unless there were other daughters born to Adam and Eve, and they just didn't get mentioned. And even then, they still would have to have procreated with someone, something else, presumably the other previous day's creation, for there to be other people to even be targeting uh, Cain. So it doesn't make sense that he's afraid people are going to see him and kill him because he killed his brother. Who's even going to know? Who's even going to care? it didn't really make sense, except unless, uh, like I said, it's the whole daughter situation or something else. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and all well, the land and then not. Oh, okay, so we read that, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So this is interesting. It doesn't say where he got a wife from since, again, it's a, it lets us know it is a patriarchal document. The Bible is in general. And like I said before, generally speaking, you don't get to a fair and equal minded approach to men and women until you really get to uh, the teachings of Jesus, the Gospels in the New Testament. That's the only place where you'll see any preachings and teachings and words of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just in case you don't know. And um, so, besides that, it's a whole lot of other people's thoughts and ideas and expressions of who God is and how God interacted with them or who they believe to be God. And um, so, you see here, there's no mention of Cain and Adam and Eve having daughters. So, where did Cain get a wife from? So, it, is it one of his sisters that didn't get mentioned or a name? Possibly. Is it one of those other previous day's creations that didn't get names at all because they're different species? Possibly. Uh, It's not real clear, but clearly he's got him a wife from somewhere and gone off to another part of their area and started a family of his own. Enoch was born in And I'm going to just read through these because these are uh, some of those genealogies and If it's a name that stands out to me, we'll go into it. Otherwise, I'll just keep reading. So Enoch was born, Erad, and Erad begot Mehujael, And again, excuse me on the pronunciation. Mehujael begot Methusel, and Methusel begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. Uh, And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played a harp and flute." So it seems to me this is giving us an idea of where different art and things and cultures and interests and different instruments and things came from. These are sort of the roots of them. But um, notice something else. that whole idea that people will thump the Bible and say supposed marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman, well, according, not according to the Bible. You see all the way back here in Genesis, uh, here's a man who has two wives. Uh, they don't ever let the wife have two or three husbands, but the man is free throughout the Old Testament to have as many wives as he can support or chooses to. Um, just as a side note, to the point to that patriarchy that, Obviously, all of the Bible is not inspired in words of God. And as for Zillah, she also bore tubal King, and an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Kane was Nama. So there's a woman getting named uh, by name, uh, this Nama. And I don't remember her getting mentioned again throughout the Bible, but it's letting us know this person had plenty of kids and offspring. Then Lamech said to his wives, Aida and Zilla, hear my voice. We're wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I've, He's saying he's killed a man for wounding him, even a young man for hurting him. So he's letting us know, uh, he's letting them know that he's a vengeful person. He doesn't uh, mess around. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold and the we'll make 77fold, so he's saying he's even bloodthirsty and hot tempered. And if you're gonna end up paying seven times for the one time uh, for getting at Cain for the one person's life who he shed, and he's letting us know he's killed a whole bunch of people, so um, you're gonna have to go after him 70 times, 77 times as much, or if you go after him he'll be avenged 77 times as much on you for seeking justice against him for taking those lives. So he's basically boasting. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So again, the daughters don't seem to get much mention at all, yet they must exist for Abel, for Cain to have a wife, Um, but she's got another child now, Seth, and sort of replaces Abel, who was killed, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh, then men began to call on the name of the Lord, Um, so it's letting us know Adam and Eve had more kids than grandkids, and that actually ends this reading, and um, I appreciate you checking it out with me, We have our Mondays and Wednesday readings at random times from the Old Testament and our Saturday night readings where we focus on the Gospels, the words of Jesus himself. Since it turns out I'm a Christian and those are the words that matter most to me in my walk of faith, that is. So stay safe. Wear your hands. Wash your masks. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be blessed. Thanks again. Peace to you.